0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport
1: Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
3: It's me hosting, James, uh, and I'm joined by Natalie and Kevin. Uh, we're going to be talking about the West Ham game at Turf Moor over the weekend. Um, another point for the Clarets at home, continuing um, and maybe slightly disappointing home form con- compared to last season. Uh, but obviously another vital point against a side that maybe um, make themselves look poorer with their start to this season than they should be on paper uh, with a sensational first 11 they put out. Um playing against 10 men the Clarets were unfortunately unable to to get three points from the game Um, but in the end I think it was a hard fought point Um, Kevin just your quick summary on what you thought of the game
4: yeah, I think although there were some areas of, of disappointment, I'm generally happy with a with a good point. And there were a, a couple of fantastic pieces of play throughout the match as well, which is always nice to see. Um, also, especially pleased to see a fantastic performance from uh, Johan Berg-Gummsen, who I've been a, a champion of. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see him come in and have a positive and impactful performance. I thought that's a, a very
3: good point. Natalie, what did you think of the game as a whole?
2: I really enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was a very entertaining game, which you don't always get when it's a draw. Um, Obviously, there was a lot more in terms of, of peaks and talking points in the first half. I think the second half plateaued a little bit. But I think as a general footballing spectacle, I thought it was a very entertaining game of football. And I actually feel really pleased that we have now, as fans, moved into a mindset of expecting to get points um, at home against a side like West Ham. It's almost like we're starting to believe that we are in the same bracket of those middle teams in the Premier League who, touch wood, shouldn't be going near relegation. And depending on the season, depending on luck, would maybe try and push towards the top 10 if they can. Um, so, yeah, I'm really pleased. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really, really good game. No,
3: I think there was uh, you know, a few key things to take out of the game and, even though some people may be groaning about the uh, home form as we start the season, um, this is the first time Burnley have gone six top-flight games without defeat since uh, February 1975, which I think shows that you know we are having a maybe a, a much better season than uh, we anticipated. And even though the home forms maybe not what it was last season, it's still uh, not half bad. Um, I'm actually going to start with something that I've not put on the agenda, just to throw you both a curveball. But um, are you surprised with where West Ham are in the league when you look at the team they're able to put out on Saturday? Because there's a lot of players in there that are, you know are very capable of uh, big game performances, and you know players who've been at big clubs like Chikorito, um, Andy Carroll, um, a lot of you know good quality players in there, but yet they seem to be struggling in the league. Uh, promise.
2: I think that's a really good point, and I think that's something that I'm not just seeing with the likes of West Ham but I am seeing across the Premier League as a general this season sides like Southampton, Bournemouth, West Brom uh, sorry not West Brom, West Ham are not having the best of starts and they're certainly disappointed by their own expectations and you look at those squads on paper and you look at the players that they've got and you, every season you expect them to just do better and better and better and be pushing um, for me the only properly established well there's two established Premier League sides who I think are actually doing very well this season and that's Watford and West Brom Um, they're the ones who I thought maybe would improve this season but certainly not as high as they are and they're both doing very well but yeah I think you're right James some of the some of those other squads who should be pushing to do much bigger things this season are really disappointing and to be honest I'll put Palace in there as well I know Palace have struggled for a few years but that that team on paper should not have gone as many games as it did without losing, it shouldn't have sacked its manager after four games or even found it necessary to so yeah, you're absolutely spot on, but I think it's a problem across the mid range teams of the Premier League this season
4: i think I think james you 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 talked about West Ham having lots of very good players. And I, th- I think that's it. They've got some good players, but they've always looked quite fragile. We've got to remember they had a, a very poor start to, to last season as well. And they've, they're one of those teams where they've got a good squad, but don't seem to have that, that right culture and they seem a bit a bit more fragile and we can go on some very good runs of form and play some fantastic stuff and really look like a real force but also go on, on in periods of time when they're the opposite and looking quite fragile and weak and, and not looking like ratted at all so I think you compare that to, to a club like Burnley and it, it's all about that culture and it's not so much doesn't, obviously the, the players are, are important it's got to have those top quality players but the, the culture is the most important thing of a club and I think that's one of the areas where and probably similar like Daly I think similar clubs to us um have that have that different approach and might maybe have a different different results.
3: I think it's a, you know a very important point, and you know, just to go back to what I said about you know, some of the players that are in there on paper being great. Obviously Zavoleta, uh, Font, um Carol, Chicarito. I was really impressed by Antonio personally, and there's a lot of great players in there that I think you know, at least one or two of them would have a really good shot at getting in our side so to see them, you know, struggling the way they are uh, is surprising but I think if they play the way they did on uh, Saturday they're not going to struggle for too long. Um, So we'll start with the, you know, the beginning bit of the game really Um, and they scored quite early on. Um, it looked like a pretty poor goal to concede and it was the the first time a, a Premier League goalkeeper has assisted uh, a goal since Boxing Day in 2016. Um, it's exactly what Burnley accused him of doing, I think. Massive ball lobbed through the middle. Um, ben Mee just missed times trying to get there. Uh, and it, to me, it looked like Port may, maybe hesitates a little bit and um, obviously that allows uh, the striker the opportunity to, to score. Um what did you think of the goal, Kev?
4: Um, I, 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 I'm not sure about that last point, there. I'm not sure Pope does an awful lot wrong. Uh, I'm not really sure what more he can do realistically. I think he's got to position himself to anticipate Ben Mee doing a lot better with that ball than he did. Um, it, what, once Ben Mee misses that, it's really difficult for, for Pope to, to, to really react to that. I think what he did do was very good. I think he made himself very big. Uh, it wasn't a million miles from stopping Antonio getting past... Um, a couple more inches on his on his on his toes, and he's probably stopped that ball. So I think Pope did very well um, in, in a difficult difficult circumstance. It was really un- uncharacteristically poor from Ben Me. Having said that, I think it's now twice in two games that he's been caught out very very poorly, um, which is a little bit disappointing. But I think it is it is very much the exception, and it's just probably unfortunate that's happened to, twice in in two games. It was a very difficult ball to read, but it was really half-hearted commitment to taking it from Ben Mee. I think, I think if you commit to playing that ball, you've got to get it. You've absolutely got to get it, or at least impact the play in some way. If he wasn't 100% sure he was going to make the ball, then he's just he can't, he can't try to get it. He's just got to sprint back and keep with Antonio and just see if he can um, push down the space that Antonio's got. So for me, it, it's all, no no blame for all for Port for me. Ben has to has to, if he's committing, he has to get it, and he didn't. And what do you think Brom is similar to Kev or?
2: Yeah, really similar. I'm not sure there's an awful lot more I can add to that, to be honest. Um, I think the only thing that I've maybe made me feel a little bit better is that once of a day, we, it was almost like a running joke that Ben and Me would have a glitch every single mission and it would usually end up leading us to concede in a goal. Um Ben Mee's little trips tend to be very few and far between these days now. And when he does have them, they tend to not result in a goal. Um, He does manage to pull it back or he manages to recover. So to be honest, yeah, it was a disappointing goal to concede, but I'm not going to lay into the lad too much because I think on the whole he's he's defending very, very well. And sometimes these things happen, and as long as they happen very rarely, then um, it's absolutely fine. It was just, I, I guess it was just frustrating because... It came so against the run of player. West Ham did not deserve to take the lead when they did. And as soon as they took the lead, it became absolutely impossible to break them down. So that's one of the reasons why it was a frustrating goal to concede. But um I'm sure Ben Mee knows where he went wrong and I'm sure knowing Ben Mee like we do, he'll work ten times as hard to make sure he doesn't do it again.
3: Yeah, I think you know it's a fair point. I think part of what what goes wrong for him there is um, he tries to let it come from behind him and, and take it down. He's sort of still running away from it. It, it might have been easier to turn and, and cut it off, but um, I think it's easy for, for us to say, watching from the stands, what you do if uh, you're in the position. But at the end of the day, he's obviously the Premier League centre-half, so probably knows a little bit better than I do what to do with the ball since uh, I've not played centre-half since I under-15, so <laughs> a bit different. Um, I think the next main talking point from the game, obviously, is the, the sending off. Um I think it changed the game massively before that. I thought West Ham looked really, really bright and were causing us some difficulties. Um, the first challenge that gets in the first yellow card, for me, um, I think personally that one does look accidental. He, he does lead with his arm, but I mean that's the way obviously a lot of strikers jump. Um, you know We see it from Barnes, um, a lot of the turf. But then after he's been booked you can see that he's riled up, he thinks the booking was so wrong that he decides it's a good idea to go and do it again with a lot more vigour and to be honest he looked like he was never going to get the ball when he went on Ben Mee. Um it's a real horror challenge and I'm very surprised he got away with a booking um, even though it is a second booking and results in a sending off, I think it should have been a straight red um, he, I think he's let himself down, he's obviously got his side down uh, I, I don't think he can have any complaints with it, I mean the problem is What did you think? Was it just a moment of madness for him? Um,
2: The second one was, I think, I agree with you. I I think the first one looks more accidental. And I think we have seen those challengers not punished or they've just had a talking to. Um, For me, the the critical point and why I think he deserves um, a good talking to by his teammates is just the way he let himself get pulled into the second challenge and to put himself in a position where the referee had no choice but to send him off regardless of the first challenge regardless of whether he thought it was a yellow card or what he was going to do he completely and utterly lost his head and as a professional at his level with the experience that he has he simply has to do better he for me once you you get, he got a head on. He was mouthing off to the referee once he got the yellow card. He wouldn't let it go. He had to be moved away. So he'd obviously got really annoyed about the fact that he'd got booked. We all said at the time, he's lost it here. He's going to end up getting himself sent off if he's not careful. And it was the next challenge. It was like seconds later that he does it. For me, when you've a seasoned professional like that, if you make that challenge, regardless of how annoyed you are about it, take yourself out of the game for 10 minutes, become invisible, literally st- Unless, obviously, like a good chance comes, if it's just a case of passing it around, pull yourself out of the game. Don't bring attention to yourself and just take a deep breath and calm down and just let it ride and then start yourself into the game again in a better frame of mind. He doesn't do that. He goes charging God knows how many yards across the pitch and goes jumps and flies into that challenge and nearly knocks Ben me out and James you're right he could have easily got a straight red card for that one so I think regardless of the two yellows I think the result was was the right result so that's the disappointment I think that his teammates should say for him and I think Bilic was probably getting at that a little bit in his post-match analysis where he was basically saying you know he's more experienced and he knows better than that um you've just you've just got to keep your head you're a fellow professional and, and you know with with eleven men, they may very well have, have kept those three points and won the game. Is is potentially well? It's probably cost his team two points there.
4: Yeah, I think the second one, the second one is is still accidental for me, but it is. I don't think he makes that challenge if he he, he hasn't got the first booking and got so wound up. I think it's, it's it's very clearly clouded his judgment a little bit. I mean, you, you watch it; he's clearly going for the ball. He's got his eyes completely on the ball. It, it doesn't mean to to go and attack Ben Me, but. I don't think he he goes in with such um ferocity and aggression if he's not so wound up from from what happened a little bit earlier so it's it's I, I'm not sure it's a straight red card but it it definitely could be you've definitely seen him given and if it if it was a straight red card i don't think anybody in, in in the in the in the ground anywhere or in the away dressing room anywhere could have had any complaints at all um i think all in all it's just incredible stupidity from a a 28 year old professional who is very experienced and should um know a lot better
3: yeah i think uh, to be very fair to to slavan bulik he, he said he was disappointed and angry and I'd absolutely no complaints with Andy Carroll being sent off. Um, you know, he said he's an experienced player and I think basically, you know, he he should know better. Um, it was a bad decision for him and obviously losing him was a big blow to them. And, and it was, and um, it, it's one of those, you just, if, if a Burnley player did it, I'm, you'd just be beside yourself. You'd probably, initial reaction would be to say, you never want to see him play for you again. One of those sort of knee jerk moments. Um, even though they went down to 10 men, we, we didn't really seem to take the game by the scruff of the neck following that. Uh, so we've seen this a lot last season. There was you know games where sides went down to 10 men against us and we really didn't capitalise. In fact, we made it look even harder work than playing against 11. But a very, very rare uh, occasion for Daesh, half-time came in. He made a, a double substitution. Um, I can't personally remember another time he's done that. Obviously, it's very rare that you see a, a sub from Daesh before, say, 70, 75 minutes. And and it was interesting to see the players who came off. Um, Arfield and Hendrick, obviously, the two of them, I think, at times, have come in for criticism at the start of the season for, you know, maybe being missing in games. I, I suspect probably not both at the same time, but one or the other, maybe having an off game. Um, but on this occasion, obviously, they both got pulled off at half-time. Um promise do you think it was the the right decision do you think that they were maybe you know not really involved enough in the game and taking them both off was justified
2: um i'm a little bit torn with the substitutions to be honest i think out of the two players if he was going to make a double substitution I think they were certainly the right ones um, it, it was a swap to four four two that dictated which players came off and if you had to, you had to take one of the central three midfielders off to be able to switch to that formation and out of the, I certainly wouldn't have wanted Jack Coco De four to come off so it had to be Hendrik and he was kind of invisible in the first half to be honest I don't think he did anything particularly wrong but he just maybe didn't have the impact that we were expecting so I don't have a problem with that um, our field I think was Maybe a little more unfair. I think he was it was doing fine, and uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not a particular massive fan of of him playing um, instead of of good and I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to this in the moment. You know, I think it just means us taking you know putting Brady on the right and, and Arfield on the left. But that's that's a, a whole different conversation for later on. Um, I think for me, the the main reason for the lack of impact was the switch to four four two. I can see why he thought that it was necessary because I think he probably thought that that would then create more openings for us and it would give us more chances. Um, but having basically Volks and Wood up front, two very similar players, it didn't really have the impact that I think maybe he was expecting. Um, for me, once we switched to four four two. We were no different up front, we just had two big men rather than wood on his own, but we we lost our man advantage in midfield and we really were doing when they went down to ten men we we had control of that midfield, and all that happened was is that we went to four in the midfield and it evened up midfield so we lost our advantage there and we just didn't like you say James we just didn't really take advantage of the situation um actually, I had to look at some stats to be honest um because it felt to me like we even even when we went to four four two we'd never really had much of a goal threat um We managed to have twenty shots throughout the game, but only five were on target, and that includes the second half, obviously, where we'd swapped this four four two um and then obviously towards the end, as well, bringing Ashley Barnes on to try and get um this second goal, well, the two goals that we needed to win it only it still only felt like we only had one goal in us, not two. Um, And I was having a look at sort of like the the breakdown between the first and second halves, and actually, this might come as a bit of a surprise, but the the two halves were relatively even. Out of the twenty shots that we had on target, sorry, that the twenty shots that we had throughout the game, there were nine in the first half and eleven in the second. So it actually didn't have that much of an impact in the second half, changing that formation. So I think that was a problem for me. The huge benefit of the change in formation and the change in personnel was that our crosses, our number of crosses absolutely skyrocketed in the second half. We, we put a lot more balls in the box. Fair enough. We didn't do anything with them when we got them there, but that just shows the impact of good Munson and, and just getting these proper good wingers who can put those balls in there. And that's exactly how we managed to score our, um, our equalizers. So I think that's where I am with, with the, with the time change.
3: Personally, I actually thought that the, the subs were a great change. Um, I thought we took the game more by the scruff of the neck after changing it and we looked a lot more fluid on the ball. I think the point you made about not wanting fall or Coke to go off is, is key. They've sort of been the heartbeat of the side all season so far. Um, for me, Coke's clearly been our sign of the summer um he's come in he's done the things we knew Cork would do but also he that what he's brought out into four has been you know incredible um you know we saw glimmers of what he can do with his skill last season but um clearly dash has managed to get him fit in the summer um and working alongside Cork. the work rate we see from the both of them they're so good at getting back winning balls um and then obviously distributing really well with both both great passes of the ball um for me, I thought really the, the highlight of the change was just how good uh, Johan Berg was. And I think he's, you know, staked a real claim for staying in the side for a little bit longer, um, obviously ultimately providing the, 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 the goal. Um for me that was the real that was the real bright spark. I thought um Brady was maybe lucky to, to stay on. Um I'm surprised that maybe Arfield didn't didn't stay on for the second half and we see Brady mate where he's he's been I think patchy so far. Um, you know, he's showing glimpses, but I think as the season goes on, we'll be expecting more consistency from him. Um, Kev, just a quick one for you, just on, on this bit. We saw Dias change formation. Do you think he's learnt from last season to maybe be a little bit more fluid of what he's doing formation-wise?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think it was really, I'm really pleased to see him uh, take a more proactive approach not just this game it's, it's, it's done that on a couple of occasions this season it's been a bit more um trying to trying to shape the game himself rather than um being being reactive which is what we've he's done previously And I think actually that's something we've seen throughout his time as, as Burnley boss I think his first couple of seasons he was very very rigid in what he was doing um but increasingly, I think the year on year, he's he's been a bit more fluid, a bit more react, uh, proactive in, in changing things, and a bit more willing to to try different things at different times. So that's that's a real positive for me. Um, uh, you've both got different views on, on whether it worked or not. I think, um, but for me, whether it worked or not, it, it, obviously that's important. But for me, uh, just as a, a general long term um, long term view, I think it's it's really good to see that 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 is continuing to continuing to to develop in in Sean Dyche's approach to games. Yeah
3: no I think that's you know a key point we've seen that and we've talked about a lot learning from experience um learning from where we've maybe gone wrong previously and building on what we did last season which was stay up for the first time and you know so far this season it's looking like mid-table's maybe even going to be uh lacking ambition if, if that's where we finish if we can keep this run up um getting back to the game I think after the Carroll sending off, we saw a lot of gamesmanship from West Ham. Um, I particularly thought, actually, just after Carroll had been sent off, Chicorito seemed to be doing his very best to pick up a few bookings himself with the way he was going around, sort of throwing himself on the floor, um, you know, getting in the ref's face. And I thought all game, all of the West Ham players were getting in the ref's face, uh, going down for long periods of time, a lot of time wasting from Joe Hart. Um Promos, what did you think of the way West Brom tried to cling to the lead? And do you think there's really a place for that in the, the Premier League, playing that way?
2: Oh, I'm going to tie myself in not answering this. I have changed my mind about this a hundred times. Essentially, West Ham gave an absolute masterclass in seeing out a game. And that was brought together with a combination of gamesmanship, time wasting and some downright cynical play. So I think my I think where I've got to in my head with this is that there is some good, bad and ugly in the way that they conducted the game. I think I give them incredible um credit for their general ability to change and react to going down to 10 men and trying to defend and protect a 1-0 lead and that was frustrating Burnley, letting us have the possession. They'd clearly done the homework and they know we don't particularly um, do very well when we've got the ball um, defended. If you if you looked at some of their formation as well, they defended very similar to, to Burnley. They had two banks of four. Um, they didn't let the ball out of their sight and they defended very, very well. And it feels like that's exactly what we would do. Um, you've got to put yourself in Burnley's position. You are away at West Ham. You go 1-0 up, but you go down to 10 men you're not telling me that we don't try everything we can to defend that 1-0 lead and shut up shop and just try and get the three points um and we wouldn't create as as much as they did either you know we we just wouldn't we'd do the same where they went too far was the time wasting was unnecessary they that was so sorry that so the tactics that they employed and the reaction was good the bad was the time wasting i thought um it, there is no place for it; it's an entertainment game as well as a as a results game, and it just frustrates and bores fans everywhere um But at the end of the day they were it's not against the law the football laws to do it, but they just pushed the boundaries as much as they could. The referee was very much at fault; he should have booked somebody for time waste, and it would have nullified that straight away he didn't he let it go on and on and on and on, so towards the end of the game um they just felt that they you know they could get away with it as long as they wanted. Um, so that was the bad. The ugly was just the ridiculous gamesmanship that they did. They were rolling around like they'd been God knows what. They were in the referee's face and it was just ill-disciplined it was unprofessional and it was just not nice to see so I think that's the summary of where I've got to in my head and I hope that explains why I do have some admiration for some of the way that they played Um, and I think Burnley have got that in themselves as well to be able like we've seen it ourselves where we've been able to really see out a game towards the end of it so we know how important that is and they kind of did a Burnley on us in that respect but the bad and the ugly I agree with you James there's no place for it.
3: Speaking of gamesmanship, I think there was one, you know, key piece of gamesmanship in the game, uh, and that's when we had a penalty shout. Joe Hart, his reaction, the way he stands up, puts his hands up while I didn't touch him. Um, to me, that's attempting a to, you know, con the referee into believing that uh, there was no contact. I think uh, it was clear at the time to me; it was a clear penalty. Um, we've seen. After the game, you know the analysts, uh, former referees, looking at it all, saying that, yep, yeah, definitely a penalty. And um, you know, Kevin, what, what do you think? About I mean, to you,
4: was that a penalty? It was definitely a penalty. It's unquestionable. I'm, I'm going to give Hart a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. We, I think, he, he raises, he puts his hands up afterwards. I, I think he's he's almost saying, look, I, I think he, he did. To to his credit, he did do his best to to not to make, not make a connection um, with wood. I think if you watch, he races out really quickly. He, he does try to to pull his hands away and try to to not make that connection, but he's he's coming out with such um, such pace that he just can't stop his stop his body flying into wood. So for me, I, I think it's almost it's almost what his reaction tells one of us. Look, I, I was, I was I've, I've tried not to get it. It's it's, it's He's, obviously, he's trying not to get a penalty, um, but I don't think I don't think it's quite as cynical as as outright cheating and trying to con the referee. But yeah, I, it, for me, it's a it's a phenomenal ball in, into the box and a fantastic run um I'm not really sure that Chris Wood has got the angle to convert if he does beat uh beat Joe Hart but for me on the whether it's penalty or not for, uh, Sean Dyche put it best after the match in but you can see that Hart very clearly does try to pull his arms away and for that 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 really shows that he's aware that he's come out too too quickly too soon and he's not going to get the ball and he is going to get the man and that's what happens. He doesn't get the ball. He just get the man. It's a penalty. Um, unfortunately, the referee didn't quite see it that way. Yeah, I think
3: as you said there, uh, um, you know, he, he comes out too soon, but also Wood's probably not going to score from the position he gets into. So it was it naive to come out
4: to me. Probably, I, I don't think he needs to do it. I think he just needs to. Uh, he just needed to, to, to make himself big uh, and close the space down, which he did well. But he closed the space down by. Coming out to get the ball, if he just makes himself big and stands up, and um, he that Chris Wood runs out of space and it's, it goes out either for a goal kick or Chris Wood has a speculative shot that goes nowhere into the goal, so it's it's bad goalkeeping. Yeah, I think, think sorry, he's
3: you're like saying, he could have easily sort of shepherded uh, Chris Wood out of, out of play because he was you know running out of space fast. Uh, so f- I think for us the penalty would have been the the best, um, the best out best. Um, the best outcome and to me I think that shows end up with some sort of uh, video review for uh, big decision in games um, it's only a matter of time I think if that had been one of the big sides uh, at the weekend they'd probably be talking about it a lot sooner as well but obviously as it's uh, Burnley against West Ham it's a game that doesn't necessarily go on the same attention as if it had maybe happened in Liverpool Man United on Saturday lunchtime um, the last thing I think to cover from the West Ham game is the goal Um, for me, absolutely fantastic cross by uh, Johan Um, and Chris Wood's movement for it is just absolutely fantastic he he comes from deep Uh, no one picks him up and in the end it's a free header and he puts it exactly where you want, bottom corner uh, really difficult for the goalkeeper Bromers, what did you think of the goal?
2: Well, it just goes to show, doesn't it? How many goals this season are we going to score if we put Good Munson on the wing, let him put balls in like that, and get Chris Wood on the end of it? Um, it was it was classic. It was a classic Burnley goal, I think. We we know that Sam Vokes scores a lot of goals. He has his textbook header, and I think Woods a very similar player that way. albeit he can score more with his feet and, and maybe a little bit more mobile than maybe Sam is. But I just thought it was a fantastic ball. That ball from Good Munson was just incredible. Um, I genuinely feel like in our side now, we have three incredible players in the default and good Munson who can put um, a ball into the box that way from open play and just make it absolutely pin perfect. And Brady's got the same skill as well, but he's his real talent is from a dead ball situation. And it, it just gives us the opportunity this season to create more and score more. <laughs> I don't understand why we are. We don't really have more goals in this side. I think it's. I think it's fair to say that we are a little goal shy at the moment, and I think that's probably down to the defensive work that we're doing and the, our in, our reluctance to commit too many players forward, and that's serving us very very well. And that's Daisha's style of play, which is great. But given some of the flair that we've got and the talent in our strike force, I do wonder why we haven't got more goals in us. But who matters? You know, it was a very important goal. It was a great cross and uh, it got us the point. So happy days.
4: I'm going to whisper this name, but um, Owen Coyle used to talk. Uh, <gasps> I know, I know. Kevin. He, he used to he used to talk lyrically. It was one of his catchphrases, but he used to talk about the best sight in football. Being a winger racing past a fullback with some skill, whipping in a cross, uh, and the striker converting it, and it, it was just, it was a beautiful goal at the weekend. Goodmanson does phenomenally well. He's got two players to beat, and he, he's got so much um, tricky footwork. It confuses the defenders so so much. He gets around the back, whips in a fantastic. It's a perfect cross. It's it's you could not design a cross any better than that. He's absolutely inch. Beautifully, fantastically, perfect, um, and like you, like you said, James, um, wood just runs in, fantastic run, perfectly timed. If just if, if you design a goal to be kind of the, most, the beautiful, perfect football goal, that's that's probably probably what you design. It's uh, it was just completely faultless. Uh, I'm really pleased for for Goodmans as well. I think he had a a ish start to the season, but for me, I thought he was dropped after his. After his best game, which was which is disappointing, uh, and particularly after having a, a great week with Iceland as well, he's obviously high on confidence, playing very well, and delighted to to see him him doing the business and hope it can continue for us. Yeah, a couple
3: of very good points there, Kev. Obviously, um, I'd imagine the confidence of scoring the second goal as you help you you know your country qualify for a major tournament uh, has probably brought him his confidence on leaps and bounds, but also. Um, how long is it since we've seen a winger at the turf who's capable of putting in those kind of balls? I think the last the last times we've seen great cross of the balls for us, it's it's been fullback, So it's nice to see someone being able to do it on the wing. Um, I think it's a you know an art of football that's fading a little bit. It's, it's not the way a lot of goals are scored now, but it's, I think it's always nice to see. So the last thing uh, from the West Ham game is uh, Natalie's been speaking to Charlie Walsh from Hammers Chat uh, just to get an opposition fans' view of the game. And um, here's what he had to say.
2: Charlie Walsh, welcome to the Known and Ever Podcast. It's very kind of you to join us.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Matt. I actually do listen to get Burnley views and that, so it's actually quite nice to be on this end for once.
2: Oh no. I when you did tell us that price checking this call, we're all very impressed. So listeners see, these are opposition fans who are committed to the to the cause. So you know, you've got competition. Um, Charlie, obviously it was um, quite a feisty game at Turf Moor on Saturday, but actually a hugely entertaining game as well. It's one that uh, myself and the boys really did very much enjoy. Um, we do a thing on None and ever on social media after the game where we ask our view, well, our listeners and we ask our panel to give us their three word match report. So I'm going to get the same from you actually, because it'd be really interesting to hear an opposition's three word match report. So what is it?
1: Uh, Demoralising, but decent.
2: <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, I like that. Um, okay, so let, let's get into this, this pretty quickly because obviously there's quite a lot to talk about. I'm going to start with your view on the first, I guess, real talking point of the game and the most controversial one, which was, of course, Andy Carroll's red card. Um, do you want to just talk us through what you felt of the decisions whether they were right or wrong and what you feel about the whole situation in general
1: I think there's an incredibly interesting but unbelievably niche in appeal article to write about the consistency around decisions involving Andy Carroll because he's one of those players and I think we saw it um slightly with Troy Deeney as well at the weekend where he's very very physical um, but sometimes defenders get as physical with him but sort of get let off but then he does something as physical and gets punished for it and then sometimes it's the other way around it's one of those weird things where there was a lot of talk about Maron Fellaini I remember a few years ago with Everton with a similar similar sort of things um and I'd really love to read the article but I don't care enough to write it <laughs> um but I think specifically with uh the red card I, I tend to err on the side with the, I think the first yellow was probably slightly harsh however the second one i think could have quite easily have been a straight red um and not only was the second one uh just terrible it's also incredibly stupid from his standpoint because regardless of what your view is on the first one whether you think oh he might be hard done by or yeah it was the right decision or whatever you have to understand that you can't go and do something that recklessly stupid directly after getting a yellow card that soon after you shouldn't do it at all but that soon after it's just it's
0: it was an absurd
1: decision from his point of view and i think it's unfortunate that on the day um we mark noble wasn't playing he was our club captain and whenever you see these sort of things he's usually the guy who runs over and just pushes our players away and just calms them down like don't get involved and winston reed who was captain on day ran over to the ref to complain but didn't seem to diffuse it and then i think and when i watched it live i i I think andy Carroll went in there with some anger still um so ultimately it, it was deserved um but I, I would say the first yellow was maybe harsh, but I would deserve red, I would say.
2: Yeah, I think I probably agree with all of those as well. And that's certainly the, the view from our panellists as well. Um, you know, it just to me, it just feels like it's a silly decision. If you, whether you agree with that first yellow card or not, you just take yourself out of the game, don't you? And don't, you don't let, you become invisible to the referee, not when he's 90 seconds later and he's still got you in in his mind. Um, so obviously I think that that has a huge effect on the game. Um I've got very mixed views on um, West Ham's performance for the rest of the game. I actually thought there was an absolutely outstanding ability to show just how much you were supposed to react to a situation in a game and how you adapt to your play. Suddenly, they found themselves down to 10 men away from home, but they had a one-goal advantage. And that is the, the way that the team... Um, adapted their play must have really impressed you to see just how much they were able to frustrate burnley let us have possession which we're not too keen on and just defend so well in those two solid banks of four you must have been delighted at just how well they the you know they managed those expectations when the the red card had happened
1: i was and what and what's weird about it is that our biggest um criticism from our own fans over the last sort of year and a half um since we moved to the stadium really has been we just don't look like an organised unit. We don't look like we play together. The players at times don't look like they even know each other, let alone play together on a weekly basis. And yet, you're right. When we went down to ten, um, especially at the beginning of that second half, um, and right at the end of the first half, we we were incredibly organised. And yeah, like really even are. Marko Manatovich was dropping back and defending, which is something that all <laughs> of Stoke fans were like, "Yeah, he doesn't defend." Even he was like holding position and defending. I was like, "This is not <laughs> this is not something I was used to seeing at all." Um, I was concerned when we spoke, we spoke before the match. Um, you can check out the preview on Hammers chat, little plug there. You, when when we spoke before it, you spoke <laughs> about um, Bernie's lack of pace. And I think that yeah. if you were quicker to convert defence to attack, I would have been quite worried because there were times where um, a nice through ball or especially early crosses, we really struggled with. I think that if you, if you'd managed to do more of those, then there could have been more of a problem. But for, actually seeing formation and like organization was it was revelatory i i, I haven't seen it since upton park it was lovely
2: yeah, you must have been very pleased with that. It really very much was. I think one of the, one of the points that we're we're discussing on on the podcast coming up is is very much how the how we reacted. And I genuinely don't believe that, that Burnley reacted as well to the sending off as you guys did. Um I certainly don't think the change in formation at half time helped. I was saying to, to the people I was sitting around with that we needed to score. We needed to equalize before half time, before Billlich managed to get them inside and and you know, set set everybody back in the right tactics for second half. Um What came on the flip side of the organisation was what we've perceived from the Burnley view to be some bad and some ugly about those tactics. And I don't know whether or not you noticed this or if you did, how you feel about it, because I'm not entirely sure I could put my hand on my heart as a Burnley fan and you know, be disgusted with, with behaviour like this if, if it's such a vital away three points is on the stake. But we did see a lot of gamesmanship as well. We saw a lot of surrounding the referee. We saw a lot of rolling over, hands-on faces um that was the ugly for me that was stuff i don't particularly like to see um we also saw a lot of time wasting but i'm not for me that's the that's the referee's responsibility not the the player's responsibility you you push the boundaries as much as you can and until the referee shows a yellow card for time wasting it doesn't really matter does it but did you see any of that were you or were you literally just happy with the the formation change and the the way that they handled it um
1: yeah I saw some of it. Um, I do know exactly what you're talking about. And I think if if you ask me my personal opinion on it, I stand and it's quite, a, it's not exactly a useful belief to have, but I think that if you have to use gamesmanship to win, I wouldn't prefer that. I would prefer we actually just win the game by winning it. Um, and I've sort of got that almost now old school West Ham mentality of just play nice football. I don't really care what the result is, but um, yeah. I think it's unfortunate because I don't particularly like watching it. I don't particularly like seeing it, but I think I also tended to notice that um, someone who I I spoke about previously to friends and I really like, and we spoke about on our preview, uh, both uh, the Hamish chat one and mine and yours. I think Ben me, um, there was some stuff like he did. He should have got yellow carded at least. Um, there was certainly frustrations. Yeah,
2: looking to get a yellow. Yeah, mm. I, I think
1: there was frustrations from Bernie's end and and there's people like Hernandez who go down very, very easily. Um, and it's just his game because he's not a big, strong dude. And so he back he backs into players and then just falls over and wins a free kick. And I always hate watching it, but it happens. Um,
2: yeah. Th- Ashley Barnes for us is very similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it it sucks. Um, it's unfortunately one of those things that just sort of happens in modern day football. Um,
2: I think it's it's the pressure of the results business of the, yeah. the Premier League, isn't it? I think, I I think, think that's a factor of it. It's, It's so important to stay in that league and finish as high as you can that sometimes people will do whatever they can to get those points.
1: Especially with the pressure that Bilic specifically is under at the moment. Um, The board are Mm, are incredibly obviously uh, using the media to say bad things about him. And so it's it's incredibly difficult to watch. Um, But unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And I don't like watching it, but it happens.
2: Yeah, I thought Billish did an absolutely brilliant post-match interview. Actually, I thought he handled himself very, very well. I thought he was very graceful and I thought he was very sensible. And I, I, I do like that guy. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, okay, final point. Penalty or not?
1: Hmm. Um. <laughs> here's when all my friends who are Burnley fans hate me. I would say, I say no, because...
2: Oh, have you seen the replay? I have, I've
1: watched it many times. Here's my stance on it. Wow. Here's my stance on it he definitely makes contact and does not touch the ball. However, I feel like that Chris Woods definitely buys the penalty. I think he puts his foot down in front of Joe Hart, knowing he's going to clip him. I think if you watch the replay slowly, he's already going over before he's even touched. I think it's one of those ones where if he actually just kept running normally, I wouldn't have any really sympathies. I would be like, do you know what? That's a hundred percent the penalty. He just gets clattered by Joe Hart in a crap way. But ultimately the ball was going out of play. He had no chance of really doing anything with it. And he kind of buys it a little bit. So I tend to think about it, look at and go, no. I mean, he's it, a. Pe- it, the letter of the law is it's a penalty. I think in my heart, I'm like, you're, I can't
2: you're clutching here. In my, my, in my in
1: my heart, I can't accept it's a penalty because of the way <laughs> I feel like he buys it. But the letter of the law does state it's a penalty. And, and to be honest with you, I think actually, if he had just carried on running and he would have got taken out anyway, I think the referee probably would have pointed to the spot without any yeah. second thought. Um, I think it's unfortunate, but I mean is it a penalty maybe
2: um, I don't know <laughs> I, it won't come as a huge surprise that, that the Burnley panel all said that it was an absolute penalty so I think that will be a, a spoiler alert I don't think um, but that that was your forum so I'm not going to debate it with you I wanted to give you an opportunity to state the case for it not being a penalty because I suspected that that would be your answer so <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that I'm going to allow you that um, platform to air your views and um, Charlie thank you so much for coming on the Known and Ever podcast it's been an absolute pleasure um, I'm very pleased that we can now close you're friend of the show because yeah you've been great this week and um, best of luck for the rest of the season um, and I look forward to meeting us at the return leg
1: thank you and let's just hope we're both in the top half at the end of the season
2: amen to that <laughs> thanks Charlie
3: so moving on next game for Burnley is uh, Manchester City away um, frighteningly they've scored 29 goals in their opening eight games um, it's the most goals in the opening eight games for a top-flight team uh, since 1894 when Everton scored 30. Um, Kevin, are you scared about the prospect of facing Manchester City at the moment?
4: Ah! It's terrifying. Um, they only scored... They scored 80... I can say only. They scored 80 goals last season. Um, so I'll, I'm sure someone can do some maths, but it must be a massive... Is that 40% or something almost? But goals from last season they've scored already this season. It's... Um, it's a phenomenal record i think it's uh any any team this is it's not this not negative at all say um, i it- worried going into this game because any team can go to particularly at man city as well any team going to man city now is going to be absolutely petrified but the, the the team with the best defense in the in the history of the universe would go to man city and be absolutely terrified uh they do look just frighteningly good uh, going forward it's just, obviously we had a uh a mixed season last season but it's, it's really come together from uh this time around and it's just they they just look absolutely phenomenal going forward um So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting match. Um, Hopefully we're talking about, uh, about our seventh, uh, seventh unbeaten game in our next podcast. Um, I'm not going to put any bets on that though. That's incredibly optimistic. I have seen that we are
3: 22 to one with some bookies uh, for the win on the Saturday, which is good value I'm going to say it's worth a quid. It's worth a quid, even if uh, it's might just be throwing a quid down the back of the sofa. Um, Natalie how do you feel about the prospect of facing Man City you you know if they keep this up I don't think anyone can look past them for the uh, title
2: I'm not in the slightest bit scared I'm not in the slightest bit nervous we're going to go to the Etihad and we're going to knock them off their perch and we're going to take three points thank you very much we are unbeaten on the road (laughs) that might be a little bit bravado um Outside, that's what I'm saying, and I'm I'm feeling very confident. Inside, I'm crying. <laughs> um, let's just hope that they don't come into the game at the weekend in the form that they did against Stoke at the, at the weekend because they were, uh, yeah, they were a little bit phenomenal. Um, De Bruyne is just just the most ridiculous player I've ever visited in my life. The balls for those, for the goals that he set up were just. They were placed perfectly. They, were, they had the correct speed. It just his vision was ridiculous. And I, I, I feel for Ben Me and James Tarkovsky. I think they're going to have a very difficult game. But you know what? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. We've got absolutely nothing to lose. Nobody expects us to win. They probably don't expect to win. So you never know. They might have an off day. They might not know how to cope with Burnley's very, very well disciplined, very well structured side. And we could get something. Who knows? I'm not writing it off yet. I'm going
3: to put that quid on James. I like the optimism. I think for me, I'd have to have a look at what they're offering on double chance, but, um, you know, the way we started the season away from home against big sides, never say never. There's, you know, every chance we could, could pull off a bit of a surprise. Um, going into the game, obviously, Dash mixed it up at half time at the weekend. Um, Jornburg Goodmanson made a, a strong case for, for, for coming in. Um, Bearing in mind, you know how the second half went, coming back from a goal down and playing generally pretty well, um, do we think we change it up? Uh, you know, do we do something to maybe try and stifle City? Uh the free scoring. I'd say that our defence is maybe better than um, a few of the ones they've faced so far. So I'd expect us to to probably not concede seven like Stoke, but obviously it's still going to be difficult to limit them to you know even two or three goals uh, with the way they're playing. So,
4: Kev, do you? Do you make many changes, and if so, what changes you make? First of all, say it's, it's, it's really strange just to hear you saying straight, with a straight face, I'd expect us not to concede seven. It's just. A... <laughs> um...
2: I think that's a really good point. Actually, can I just very jump quickly jump in whoa, here? Whoa. James is James is completely right in that. I know Stoke had a bit of a nightmare, but I genuinely don't expect Burnley to concede seven goals. I think we're more disciplined than that. It's so, po- Sorry, so positive.
4: <laughs> now, two, two out of three don't expect us to concede. So I've got, I'm going to go for the hat-trick. I'm going to confirm 100% of this week's, this week's panel do not expect us to concede seven goals. Never let it be said, but none of was negative. Um, <laughs> um, to answer your question, James, uh, I, I, don't, I don't mix it up. I think I'd go with the same approach we we've we've usually taken to games, particularly particularly our, our away games. I would bring I'd bring um, JBG in. I think he's uh, high on confidence. He's he's playing well. He's got genuine creativity. He played a big part in our away win at Chelsea, of course. So for me, that's I I bring him in for our field. But other than that, I, I I don't think we need to change anything. We've we've done well. We've done away well away from home all season. So. Go in with uh, the same approach we usually take. Sean Dyche is always talking about it. he doesn't like to set his team up for the opposition, he sets his team out for, for his team and, and uh focus on what Burnley doing rather than what the opposition does. So I don't think we need to ch- change too much. Um, I, w- I would be I would like to see Goodmunson play though. I think he's obviously got a lot of confidence at the moment and I think that's particularly with your creative players, you need to be giving them game time when they're when they're high on confidence.
3: I think that's a good point. Bromers would you change anything? Goodmanson to come back in or do you do you stick with Hendrick and Arfield?
2: Um, no, I think I think for me that the change is our field, which does sound really, really harsh because I think he has been playing really well. But I just don't like Robbie Brady playing on the right and I think it's really difficult because he's, he's he'd started really well this season and he'd been starting to show spells of what we were expecting from him. And then all of a sudden, Deitch keeps putting him back on the right again and you can see his frustration because... He doesn't perform as well on the right. He's out of position. And also, when he gets himself into a really good position to create a goal, it takes a sting out of every single chance because he has to bring himself back into the centre to be able to put it on his left foot to take the shot. So we're losing a little bit of momentum. So I want to get Robbie Brady back on the left where he belongs. Now, that unfortunately means that we need to... um, Well, I guess I'd rather have... um, Brady on the left than Arfield on the left if we're going to bring Munson in. So for me, I'm really sorry, Scott, I think you've done a great job so far this season, but I think we stay with the 4-5-1 with the central midfield of Defoe, Cook and Hendrick with Brady on the left, Munson on the right. If Brady has a shocker, you can bring him off and bring Scott Arfield on and put him on the left, give him a bit of an impact role to play, but I think that's what I would start with.
3: That's a fair point for me personally, I'd... I'd bring Goodmanson in. Um, I'd play Brady on the left and, and Goodmanson on the right, and I think it'd be Hendrick who makes way for me, and I'd play Orfield in the middle. Um, it's just uh, what I think. I'd I'd give a go. Um, I'm I'm going to just go with something that obviously we we've not been doing this season, but I feel with the way City have started, I'd be missing a real opportunity. I didn't ask for some predictions here. Oh this, no. This could this James. could go any way. Um, He's throwing us some curveballs
2: tonight, isn't he?
3: <laughs> I don't think we'll concede seven, as I've already said. Uh, I think it'll be really tough. Um, I think we'll score, uh, so I think we're going to get beat 3-2. I think that's the, one of the first times I've ever predicted a defeat for us. Um, Kev,
4: what do you think if you were a betting man? Oh, dear. Um, I I I agree with you. I've got a little bit of confidence. I think we can score. I'm going to say we're going to score a goal. I think that's that's a good one. I I don't think it's beyond us to to go out and and get a result. I think I think we can. I think we can draw one one. Uh, I mean we we could win. We we you know we we, we at the very start of the season we were so dismissive. About about beating Chelsea, of course. Chelsea haven't been as as good this season. As Man City have, but you know, I think that cho- that told us that taught us not to be completely dis- dismissive of of some fantastic wins at the big teams. I'm not going to say that. I I want to be positive. I want to I want to say we're going to get a one 0 draw. I'm going to go. I'm going to go two one defeat, but it it's going to be close. I think we're we're going to give them much bigger a much more of a game than they than they've probably been used to of late.
2: Well, look at you two Debbie Downers. Um, I agree with James, I think we're going to score, Um, but I also believe in our defence and I think that Ben Mee will be spurred on to make sure he doesn't make any of those mistakes again. I think they will be concerned by the exciting football that City played on Saturday. They will bring their A game and I'm going to say we're going to get a point. I think we're going to remain unbeaten. I think we're going to get a 1-1 draw
3: well a bit of, bit of optimism uh, optimism from you there Bromans that's a, a rare one we normally call you negatively for your negative outlook on the game unfairly I uh, would add well uh, on that note um, that's all we've really got time for this week um, a couple of thanks as always thanks to you for listening um, hope you enjoyed the podcast if you've got any feedback get, please do get in touch podcasts at Um thanks to kevin and natalie for joining me tonight um, and thanks to adam our producer for the stuff he does behind the scenes um i've been james this is the know No never podcast good night
4: natalie away from home but just don't seem to be competitive yet
2: they looked like there was such a massive golfing class between the two sides. Um, it almost reminded me of, and this is incredibly harsh, so I'm, I hope I don't set up this podcast on a terrible tone, but it almost looked like a third-round FA Cup tie between a Premier League side and a non-league side.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery.